begin to change your mind about you, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to continue our discussion on the subject of sacrifice. In particular, we want to begin to answer the questions, was the crucifixion of Jesus a sacrifice to take away sin? Or was it something else? In the previous episode, we discussed how the culture of our world revolves around the concept of sacrifice. We learned that sacrifice has not only been a historically religious practice, but has also been and continues to be a common practice in the affairs of our secular world. And where this causes us difficulty is when sacrifice is used as a means of expressing love. This is because Jesus taught that the concept of sacrifice is actually a hindrance to the manifestation of pure love that he and our Father desire us to express. Now, of course, the very mention of Jesus in the context of love and sacrifice inevitably led us to begin a discussion of his crucifixion. Most Christian doctrines teach that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of humanity's sins. The fact that his crucifixion is perceived as a life lost in exchange for the forgiveness of many meets the requirements of what we refer to as a sacrifice. Thus, in keeping with the Passover sacrifice we talked about in the previous episode, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A reference there is John 1.29. However, I made the astounding claim near the conclusion of the last episode that the crucifixion of Jesus was not a sacrifice. It was an act of pure love, which is devoid of all sacrifice. Now, on what grounds do I make this claim? I want us to begin by looking at what is perhaps the most frequently quoted scripture in the New Testament. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now let's look at the various thoughts expressed in this passage. God gave his one and only Son to the world. He did not give him up for the world. There is no exchange here as required in a sacrifice. God doesn't lose his son by giving him to the world, does he? Now let's look at the second part of verse 16, where it states that whoever believes in him shall not perish. The Greek word translated believes here is pistuo. P-I-S-T-E-U-O, which means to entrust to. In other words, 
If you entrust yourself, that is, your identity to him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. So ironically here, on the surface, we're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus as a sacrifice, but here it appears as if we are the ones who are making a sacrifice, giving up our personal identity in order to share in Christ's identity. But the exchange is that we are giving up death in order to receive life. So is there any real loss there? No, we only gain, right? But there's more to be learned here in these sections of Scripture. Let's, let's go on to verses 17 and 18 of John, of John chapter 3. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So the reason we accept a shared identity in Christ is to avoid condemnation. Can that be considered a sacrifice? The second half of verse 18 here is also telling, and we want to hone in on that. By keeping our worldly identity, we stand condemned already. Why? Because we have not entrusted our identity to, we have not identified with the name of God's one and only Son. Your identity is always symbolized by your name, is it not? Salvation, then, really, is all about an exchange in personal identity. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 16, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Here Jesus makes two points about discipleship. The first point is that the disciple must deny themselves, meaning they must deny the personal identity which they believe defines who they are. That identity is represented or symbolized by the body, their body. This identity, this identity is what must be denied. What may be called your ego-driven identity is what must be denied. In the next part of verse 24, it describes how the ego-driven identity must be denied. Thus, since we're talking about a how, we're speaking about a process. Jesus tells them 
to take up their cross and follow me. To take up their cross, those words, take up their cross, that phrase is, a sim, is symbolic language. The cross now was the symbol of criminal execution used by the Roman Empire at that time. It was a long and tortuous ordeal for the one being crucified. And it ended up always in their death. But what was it that was crucified? The body. The body was crucified. And what is the body? It is the symbol of the ego-driven identity. So the taking up of the cross is the beginning of the process of crucifixion. You begin by taking up the cross and going to the place where you're going to be nailed to it. So the point Jesus is making here is to begin the process of putting to death the ego-driven identity that all of us have made for ourselves. In doing so, we are following his example. Yes, crucifixion is painful, but only for the one who identifies with the body. In other words, it's painful for the ego-driven identity to experience crucifixion, but not for your true self. Let's now continue reading in verse 25. Matthew 16, verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here in verse 25, Jesus is telling us that if we seek to preserve our ego-driven identity, represented by the body, we will ultimately die. In other words, the ego-driven identity is destined to die as a body being crucified on a cross is destined to suffer a slow and steady march toward death. And if you think about this life that we're living, that is exactly what it is. It's a slow and steady march toward death. But if we willingly give up our ego-driven identity in order to embrace our God-created identity in Christ, then we live eternally. Now, to this point, Jesus goes on and presents us with a few questions to think about in verse 26 of Matthew 16. Jesus asks there, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here in verse 26, Jesus is using the concept of sacrifice as a means to demonstrate the concept's foolishness from an eternal perspective. Your soul is your existence, your true self, your true identity. So with that in mind, he in effect is asking, why would anyone sacrifice their eternal well-being to gain all the riches of the world which ultimately cannot be kept? 
And the second question, what do you possibly gain by refusing to acknowledge your true identity in Christ? The point Jesus is making is that the decision to follow him results only in a gain. There's no loss. There's no sacrifice at all to be made on our part. But what about Jesus? There's no sacrifice for him either. In speaking to the Pharisees, he told them in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now here Jesus is obviously speaking about his crucifixion and resurrection. He lays down his life in the crucifixion only to take it up again in the resurrection. What does he lose? Nothing. Nothing was lost. Nothing was exchanged for something else. So the crucifixion was not a sacrifice. Yes, but didn't we say earlier that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world in John 1.29? And didn't Paul call Christ our Passover Lamb in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8? Wasn't the Passover Lamb a sacrifice? And doesn't it say in Hebrews that we have been made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all in Hebrews 10.10? 10? Let's take a look at each of these scriptures to see if there isn't another way of interpreting them. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Again, let's go back to what we talked about last time in the previous episode about the Passover. We said there that the Passover lamb chosen to be killed was to be one without blemish. In other words, innocent. No blemishes means no sins. As such, there is only innocence. And what Paul states here in the context of 1 Corinthians 5 also agrees with that same interpretation of innocence. Notice what he says in speaking to the Corinthians there in verses 6 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 5. Paul wrote there, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new leavened, unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old leavened bread, with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul wrote here, has the same basic theme 
as what we read earlier in Matthew 16, where Jesus told his disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Paul is basically saying the same thing, but just uses different symbols. Paul likens old leaven to the self that must be denied. In the unleavened bread is the way of Christ, the way of truth, which Paul said is as you really are, which is, in other words, your true identity. It's also interesting to note here uh, that the Greek word translated sacrifice in verse 7 is thuo, T-H-Y-O, which in this context means to kill. So what Paul is driving at here is that the innocent Passover lamb of God has been killed. The world, which is the way of old leaven, the self that is to be denied, is what kills the innocent. So the obvious choice is to turn away from the way that kills the innocent and toward the way of sincerity and truth instead. The way of sacrifice is the way of killing the innocent. Who are the innocent? Those that share in Christ's identity. As for Hebrews 10.10, the Greek word translated sacrifice there is prosphora, which is derived from the verb prospero, P-R-O-S-P-H-E-R-O, which means to offer. In other words, Hebrews 10.10 simply means that God's will is to offer Christ to us, making us holy once and for all. Not to offer him for us, but to offer him to us. Christ is God's eternal gift to us. He is the gift. His identity is the gift to eternal life that we were given, that we were all given, really, in the beginning. All of this, all of what we have just stated, agrees with what Jesus said about himself and why he came. He said to Pontius Pilate during his trial in John 18, verse 37, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He also said something similar in speaking to a great crowd. He declared in John 12, verses 44 through 46, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. In darkness, 
we cannot see. We are as good as blind. But when someone turns on the light, that is, enlightens us, we're able to see. We're able to understand. That's why Jesus said to the man who had been blind from birth, which he had healed, he said to him in John chapter 9, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What does he mean by that? In effect, it means that the teachings of Jesus turn the ways of the world, the way of sacrifice, upside down. The world teaches man that he is a sinner and requires a sacrifice to remove his sins. Jesus teaches that such a belief is false, which is why our identity as sinners must be denied. Rather, what we are to believe instead is that our identity is in Christ, our only true identity. And because that identity is sinless, we are and will always remain as God created us. Humanity is really, collectively, the one and only sinless Son of God. Thus, there is no need for sacrifice if all are in reality sinless. This principle is difficult to accept for those strongly tied to the concept of sacrifice. That's why Jesus corrected the teachers of his time by saying in Matthew 12, verse 7, he said there to the teachers, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. My friends, you are, as God created you, perfect, holy, sinless, and innocent. There is no such thing as sin. And because there is no sin, there is no need for sacrifice, period. So now, the question arises. If the crucifixion of Jesus was not a sacrifice, what was it? What purpose did it serve? We will discuss that next time on Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you of your true identity as a child of God, holy, sinless, blameless, and innocent. You are not a sinner. There is no sin. Thus, there is no need for sacrifice. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. 
as the prophet Hosea wrote. In Hosea 6, verse 6, speaking on behalf of God by the Spirit, he wrote there, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. To acknowledge God is to recognize that you are as God created you. Nothing has changed that, and nothing ever can or will. So, until next time, take good care and be well, my friends.